Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, I'm just going to jump right into it tonight and ask you this question. Is Jesus saying that we should never judge or make judgments? Because, I mean, it sounds like he says, judge not, lest you be judged. Right. You're right. He is not saying that this. You'll hear people all around the world say the Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. And actually, I remember years ago, uh, I was in a church here in Florida and they had a men's bake off. And it was a Sunday night fellowship kind of a deal where all these men were to make cakes. And this one man Act, and, and, and everybody was to judge on which was the best cake. This one man actually made a cake in the shape of a Bible, and his verse was, judge not, lest you be judged. <laughs> you know, But uh, people in the world are saying, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge. Well, that's very clearly from the context of where we're going to be going tonight, and from, again, the whole of Scripture, we'll see that that's not it. All right, let me show you. Jesus could not be saying we're never to judge anyone because he himself tells us to make proper judgments. Turn over to John chapter 7. Go to John chapter 7 and look at verses 22 through 24. In John chapter 7 verse 22, Jesus is teaching and he says, Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So here Jesus is clearly saying to judge. So that must not be the correct interpretation of judge not, lest you be judged. Again, like I've told you before and illustrated it to you, and hopefully we'll keep doing it until Jesus takes us, don't build your doctrine on one verse. Use the whole of Scripture to look at the context and the whole of Scripture, and you'll get a correct interpretation. Also, go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. As you're going to see in this passage, God actually instituted judges. I think we even have a whole book called Judges, don't we? In Deuteronomy chapter 1, look at verses 9 through 18. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verse 9, it says, At that time I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. This is Moses speaking. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and the burden of you in your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. 
You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I command you at that time all the things, I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. So here is Moses is about to go see the Lord as the nations of Israel is about to go into the promised land. And the book of Deuteronomy is the repeating of the law. He's reminding them, look, God's blessed you, you've grown. And as the numbers have grown, I could not handle this, the, the leadership. So God has designed that you would have leaders over you, wise men, experienced men. Godly men. And they'll be commanders and over different, some are able to lead bigger groups, some are only able to lead smaller groups, but also have appointed judges for you. And they're to make righteous judgments. And it's not them making the judgments, it's God. That's important for you later on in our study. So if Jesus were to come on the scene and say, don't judge, he would be contradicting the law. But not only that, in, go back to Matthew chapter 7. In this same sermon where it appears he's saying never to judge, he tells us to make judgments about certain things. Look at verse 6. He says, don't give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack to attack you. Let me ask you a question. How are you going to know if someone's a dog or a pig that you're not supposed to be sharing with? Unless you make a judgment. So it's obvious from the context. Actually, go over to Matthew chapter 7, look at verses 15 through 20. He goes on later on in our study as we get into it next couple weeks. Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruits cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Again, he goes on in this same sermon and says, hey, you need to make judgments between those who are real teachers and those who are false teachers. Those who are actually being used of God in teaching truth and those who are actually appearing to be spiritual, but actually they're inside ravenous wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. You've got to make a judgment on that. So he couldn't be saying, don't judge. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, in the section there of our study for tonight. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to do what? To take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he's even saying there are going to be times when you will help your brother by making a judgment about some things that they need help on. So if you don't know the difference between proper judgments and wrong judgments, what should you do? Don't judge! If you don't know the difference between a proper judgment and a wrong judgment, don't judge! As you're going to see tonight, those who are to make judgments are going to be those who are spiritual, mature, impartial, understand the things of God. And my prayer is that each of you would be able to grow into that level. But... First off, because the Bible says the way in which you judge others will be the standard in which you receive judgment. Not only, well, let me just put it to you this way. If you're harsh and unforgiving towards others, you too will receive a harsh and unforgiving response from the wicked world and also from God. I'm going to take you down a road that some of you might not have ever really looked at. I'm going to show you something here, and I pray God helps you to see this. 
But again, look at back at what he says here in Matthew 7. He says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be judged to, or measured to you. Then he goes and says, well, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the logs in your own eye? And then he says, after you get the log out of your own eye, then you can help your brother. What's he really teaching about judgment? Start with yourself and allow the, 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 the truth of, just back it up this way, allow the Spirit of God to show you truth about yourself so that then you would be able to see more clearly about the people around you. By the way, do we not live in a world in which people are making judgments all the time? It was funny, years ago, uh, I was preaching up in Massachusetts, and it was a Wednesday night, and I had been brought in to be a speaker that Wednesday night at this church. And uh, it was winter time, and there's snow piled up everywhere, and I'm driving a rental car, and there was a skinny little spot that I found that in this church parking lot that was full that I thought I could squeeze my car into, but I, had to, I figured it'd be easier for me to back it in than to pull it in, because when it was getting out time, I'd rather pull out than be able to try to back out because of the craziness. And so I... Um, pull into this parking lot and I start backing up and this car didn't have a camera to help me or anything like that. So I had to do it the old fashioned way and look over my shoulder. And uh, I literally did this for about five minutes until I got it in the spot. The whole time there's a man standing there watching the whole deal. He doesn't know I'm the speaker. And he let me know that he had made a judgment about me. And to, I mean, was not, have you ever met people from New England? They're not afraid to tell you what they think. The nicest thing he said to me was, you need driving lessons. <laughs> and then I get there and he finds out that I'm the actual speaker for that night. And he was like, oh, man. <laughs> Go to Matthew chapter 25 and look at verses 24 through 30. Matthew 25, starting in verse 24. Near the end of the parable of the talents, Jesus makes a very interesting statement to the third servant. He says, He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Hang on for a second. How many of us can quote, if I get you started, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and what? Learn from me, for I am meek and gentle of heart. I'm gentle. This guy says, God, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. In other words, you expect us to do all the work and you get all the benefits. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, for everyone who, ha for everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place, there will be weakening and gnashing of teeth. Ain't that interesting? Now, before I bring some more out of this, go with me to Luke chapter 19. Let's see Luke's account, and it gives us a little more insight as well. Most non-Christians think God is a hard God. Very, very much so. Luke chapter 19, 
verses 20 through 27, or the God they've created in their mind is a wonderful, loving God and, and accepts everything. But that's not God. Luke chapter 19, verses 20 through 27. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Then why didn't you put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he's already got ten. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given, from, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This individual saw God as a hard man. And he had made a judgment about God. It wasn't a correct judgment. But God says, I will measure to you the same judgment you measured to me. Folks, I don't even want to take the time to go into the fact that if you are someone that's harsh and mean toward people around you, don't be surprised if people are the same way in response. I mean, that, hopefully we understand that that's a very natural reaction of the world. But Jesus himself also shows us here that God will use your own words against you. You saw me that way, then I'll be that way when it comes to the time of judgment. But is that who he is? No, the Bible says that he's loving, patient, merciful. He, he doesn't want anyone to perish. But when it comes time for the judgment, I'll measure you to the same way that you, I'll give you the same judgment you gave me. So we need to be real careful that we don't become someone who is judgmental, especially in the sense of not making proper judgments. Because the measure in which we judge, it'll come back to us. Go to James chapter 2 and look at verse 13. James chapter 2 verse 13. We're going to come back to this passage if you want to make a little... Uh, bookmark in chapter 2. We'll come back to it later tonight. It says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Did you see it? Judgment without mercy is going to be given to those who have no mercy. But if we're not judgmental but merciful, what will we receive? Mercy. Go to, back to Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. We've already learned this earlier. In the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. By the way, is anybody caught what this sounds a lot like? You, you, no. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets, the golden rule. At the heart of what he's teaching here in Judge Not Lest You Be Judged is the golden rule. In other words, he's saying, don't be just making judgments about people around you, because in order to do that, what are you doing with yourself in respect to the other person if you're making a judgment about someone? You're becoming their God. You're becoming their judge, and you're elevating yourself over the other person. 
you're going to find that biblically, and we're going to get to that tonight, those who are able to make proper judgments will do it actually from a humble way in which they come to help and lift someone up. You're still making a judgment, but you're doing it for the purpose of building up, not tearing down. When he says don't judge, he's saying don't be the one coming from the top down. Because why? There's only one judge. There's only one judge, and that's God. And the moment you decide that you're going to be the judge over anybody in an attitude that you're here and they're here, you've made yourself God. How many times have you ever heard someone say, who made you God? So, hey, folks, we all got to be careful. Because how many times have you had thoughts under your breath about someone that might have had a tattoo? Or someone that might have acted in a way in which I would never do. Be careful. Be careful. So if we're to still make judgments, and the judgments we are, are, we are to make are to be proper judgments, what is the proper judgment? What is a proper judgment? That's what we're going to deal with in the time we have left tonight. Go to John chapter 7 again to verse 24. In John 7, 24, he be, Jesus begins to give us a little insight into what proper judgments are. And I'm going to be doing something tonight a little bit different than I normally do. I'm going to wait for you guys to give me the answer. All right. John chapter 7, verse 24. Look what it says. And if I was in John, it would make a lot more sense. John 7, 24, one more page. There we go. Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So what do you, what from this passage right now, from this verse, what will begin to help us develop what the definition of a right judgment is? A judgment that's what? Oh, use the words that are right here. That not by appearances. Look closely again. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Again, we're trying to determine what right judgment is. From this verse, let's begin to build it. Right judgments are not by what it looks like to you in appearances. I, I, I deal with churches around the country, and, and, and there have been situations in which an individual will come in, and he'll be wearing a baseball cap. And some people in the church will say, well, that's disrespectful. And actually, if you knew the situation, you'd actually find out this is an individual that his water had been turned off because he couldn't pay his water bill. And he hasn't been able to wash or it could be cancer or it could be whatever. We, we don't make a judgment on appearances because, well, go to First Samuel. Go to First Samuel chapter 16. In the passage where God is actually, go ahead. While you're turning, uh, Orlando First Baptist has some very current people 
in their praise team. And uh, David Youth was explaining one of the men to the congregation one day. He said, this man you see with the great big loops in his ears and with tattoos all over him, that was his former lifestyle. Mm -hmm. He's up there now singing praises to God right. with that same appearance. Yep, but his heart's in a different place. His heart's in a different place. Go to 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel 16. By the way, if you ever have some fun, go look at this story and realize how the, our headings say David is anointed king or Samuel anoints David. But there's only one verse that deals with David being anointed king, and that's verse 13. The whole rest of this story is God working on Samuel to get Samuel to see things how God does instead of Samuel making decisions with his own eyes. And as he's already been told, you just, I've already chosen for you a king. You anoint the one that I tell you. I'll show you what you're to do. You, you read that story, you'll see. God tells him three times, I've already chosen for myself a king from among his sons. I'll show you what you do. All you do is anoint the one I tell you. Pretty simple, huh? The first thing Samuel does when he gets there is he sees Eliab. We'll go to verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and he thought to himself, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And folks, let's be honest, most of us make our judgments on appearances. We even make them in the sense of, well, I think so-and-so would be a real good leader. He's a, he's a strong businessman. He's got a powerful personality. He'd be a good leader in this church. Probably the last, he might be a crook. You're right, right, Marty. You don't know. God knows the heart. God knows the heart. And so we have to be real careful that we don't make our judgments on what it appears to us. So that's the first part of our definition, is that you don't make them on appearances. Proper judgments also are, listen closely, this is very important, are to be made by those who are truly spiritual. Not a false or phony, self-righteous type of spirituality. We've all dealt enough in the churches with people in the church that act spiritual, know how to talk spiritual, give off the aura of spirituality, but they're not spiritual. Go to, uh, go to Galatians chapter 6. Look at verses 1 through 5. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of you test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. There's a lot here. If you see your brother caught in a transgression, now by the way, that doesn't mean you see your brother do something one time. Anybody here can admit, I still sin every now and then, but thank God I'm not caught in the transgression. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference between sinning once in a while and being caught in it. The problem is, a lot of times we'll see you do it that one time. And we think that's what you do all the time. God knows the heart. So we've got to be real careful that you don't make a judgment on something you see somebody do one time. 
You see what I'm saying? You see someone caught in a transgression? You see someone that's actually doing it over and over and over? Then it's probably time to go talk to this brother and sister in love. But don't ever go do it the first time you see them do that. Because would you want someone coming to you the first time you do something? I mean, let's be honest. We hopefully aren't speeders. But every now and then, sometimes we lose track of the speed speedometer, don't we? And if someone saw you doing it that one time and they assume you're a non-stop speeder, that'd be an incorrect assessment. So you who are spiritual, you see your brother caught. This is when you see someone doing it over and over. You who are spiritual, do it how? Come as a judge? No, with gentleness. You actually come meekly in the purpose of, is this something that I could help you with? Oh, but before you even go talk to your brother and sister, you're making sure this is something you've seen over a period of time. What are you to do? You're to make sure that your heart's in the right place and your purposes and your motives are right and why you're doing it. Are you even the one God wants to talk to them about it? See, that's one of the things I've had to learn over the years. God's given me a gift of discernment. And one of the things that I'm gifted in is as I go to churches all around the country, within the first five minutes, I can tell you what's going on in that church. I can tell you who the problem people are. I can tell you who people are that are actually growing in their walk with the Lord. I, I was actually at this one church in, in, in the Keys one time. And after church, and I, only, I only had gotten there that Sunday morning. After church, they were without a pastor. They're going through a struggle. And some of these people took me to, to lunch. And they said, we need to kind of tell you about what's going on. I said, no, you don't. Let me tell you, this person here wants to be in charge, but no one wants them to be in charge because they realize that that person is not gifted to be in charge. And this, this is going on here, and this is going on there. And their eyes were like... My problem, though, is, is because God's given me the ability to see these things, that doesn't mean I'm supposed to say something all the time. And that's hard for me because I'm gifted at saying things. <laughs> and sometimes I have to be real careful. Am I saying something to show how much I know? Or am I saying because I want to help? And sometimes God says, I showed you so you know how to pray. And you can be wise, not so that you would deal with it. Actually, I'm going to challenge you to say nothing until you know God has been shoving you to go say something. You understand the difference? That'll keep you from making assessments on something you saw right away or too soon. It'll help you when you start to see someone caught in a sin. That'll give you time to make sure your heart is right and why you would go to talk to this person. And then it also says, if you think you're something when you're not, <laughs> that's you up here and them down here. Let's not have that attitude. Go to Luke chapter 18. Can you elaborate on... I can elaborate on a lot of stuff, but that doesn't mean it's right. But go ahead. Uh -huh. God calls us to have a spirit of discernment. And therefore that says... You know, you've got to know his word. You are making judgments. Yes. So can you elaborate a little bit more in depth on having the spirit of discernment versus judgmental? I mean, there's no creature hidden, mm -hmm. you know, from God. Let's do this. I have a lot more of this how to know what this looks like. If at the end of this, you so let's let the rest of the study see if it might not answer your question. All right. Look at Luke chapter 18. Look at verses 9 through 14. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. 
Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, he prayed this way, he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, there's a little bit of that. The measure you use in judgment, it'll be measured to you. But again, look closely again at verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's the improper judgment. By the way, did you all catch something back in Deuteronomy you might have, you might not have? I'm going to see if anybody can catch it. There was something said back in Deuteronomy about the judges who are going to be judging the nation of Israel. That's also in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Can anybody tell me what it is when we read this verse? Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. It says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. We call on a father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. There was something I brought out in Deuteronomy chapter 1 that I said, remember this for later. What is it? Anybody remember? The impartiality in judgment. A proper judgment, as the King James used to put it, is no respecter of persons. Someone that makes proper judgments doesn't have people that he's very glad to go point out their sins and others that they're going to give grace to. You, you know how some, I'm not going to look at anybody at this time, my eyes are closed, but uh, <laughs> some grandparents sometimes might have, and you would never admit it, but you have favorite grandchildren and you might be harder on one than another. Show no partiality. Yeah, but this is a good little boy, and that one's a rascal. Yeah, be careful. Go to James chapter 2. I told you to put a bookmark in James chapter 2. Go back to James chapter 2, and let's take a look at that whole chapter. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you sit, say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. I have you. I have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become accountable for all of it. 
For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, don't murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Folks, the Bible's real clear that we all have this tendency. It's in our flesh. It's in that sin nature to... There are certain kind of folks we like more than other kind of folks. And unfortunately, even in the church, it's carried over to skin color, sexual preferences. It doesn't mean that we aren't to make judgments about what is sin and what's not sin according to the Word of God. But we can't just go to our natural, I don't like that, I'm here, they're there. I'm going to get right back to you, Warren. As a pastor, I've had to be real careful in this area over the years as well. Especially as God's brought me into churches that are struggling and, and He's wanting to use me to help them get turned around and follow the Lord. All of a sudden, you see a nice big family with a bunch of kids come in. You want to go take them to dinner. But you might also see a homeless person come in and you're not as excited about what they could bring to the congregation. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've got to be careful. Go ahead, Warren. I never will forget when uh, uh, Kurt Dodd was our pastor. He had three plants in the audience one Sunday. All guys that were relatively new in the church, uh, the least among them had a bachelor's degree. The rest of them had masters and more, engineers, etc. They had not shaved, hadn't combed their hair, hadn't taken showers in two or three days, and wore dirty clothes. And he just had them sit randomly in the audience. About halfway through the service, he called them up to the platform and wanted to know how they had been received. Yep. It's a great learning learning lesson, folks. We. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. So proper judgments show no partiality. Also, proper judgments are made by those who do not make their judgment by what their eyes see. We've already touched on that a little bit with, with the appearances. But also, they make their decisions with spiritual insight. We've touched on it a little bit, and this is where I think we're going to answer your question. We're not to make judgments by what our eyes see. But we're to actually look at things with spiritual eyes. Well, how am I ever going to have spiritual eyes? Oh, we're not going to have you turn there because many of you can quote it. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask God, who gives it generously, without finding fault. God, God wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give you insight. He wants you to learn how to see things like He does. He wants you to be slow to anger, quick to listen. He wants you to be someone that doesn't make quick judgments. Over the years, some of you probably can think of individuals who you would even pull their name out right now that you have seen them be these type of godly people where you might be in a business meeting or you might be in a committee meeting or you might be in some kind of a group of the church and that individual probably hadn't said word one the whole meeting but then at a certain point that person would speak up and everybody else in the room shuts up because they know that wisdom is about to come out of this person's mouth. Oh, but that person doesn't talk much until it's necessary, and they've prayed through what they're going to say, and they speak with wisdom. Some of us talk until we think of something. <laughs> go, to, go to Isaiah chapter 11. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. Remember what God told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. Man looks at outward appearances. God looks at the heart. Here's a description of Jesus, and it's a prophecy about his coming to set up his kingdom on the earth. 
In chapter 11 of Isaiah, verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. By the way, that's the seven spirits of God we see in Revelation. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked, and righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Here we see in this prophecy about the coming millennial kingdom, when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth, he's going to be making judgments, folks. But he's not going to make judgments by what his eyes see or what his ears hear. Over the years, as a pastor, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I need to tell you about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. So because you're the pastor and you need to have the authority, you have the authority, you need to deal with them. And I stopped them real quick and I said, are you about to tell me some things they've done that are wrong that I need to deal with them? He said, they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, well, do you want me to deal with you about all the stuff people have told me about you? <laughs> you don't decide disputes by what your eyes see or what your ears hear. By the way, this only will come over years of learning how to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and learn to recognize when the Spirit of God is speaking. We're going to touch on that as we close tonight in a cool way. But you're going to learn to recognize when the Spirit of God is actually speaking. By the way, as, as God's been using me here to move this church from here in the Atlantic from congregational government to elder leadership, which is the biblical model. And I'm putting these elder team together and we've been meeting together and praying together a lot. One of the big things that I'm having to keep reminding them is as God's called us to lead and make decisions and to make judgments, we're not to make those judgments by what we think is best, or by a blanket policy. But that in each situation, when it arises, we're to pray over that situation, and what would God have us do in this situation? The church wants us to make a manual that says this is how it's always to be done. But scripturally, if you hopefully understand, God doesn't work that way. That's why he would say to Peter, and he'd say, um, what if I want John to remain alive until I return? What's that to you? You follow me. So if you're going to be a spiritual, godly person who makes proper judgments, you can't live by your policies. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But just keep that in, in your mind for later. You're to make your decisions by not what your eyes see or your ears hear, but with righteousness, truth. And again, I saw you over here a little bit ago do this. you got to know the word, folks. If you don't know the word, you're not going to know what's truth. You're not going to know what's right and wrong because you're going to mostly make your decisions by what you think. And let's be honest, I'm going to tell you this as lovingly as I can. Most often, what you think is wrong. Go to John chapter 8. Look at verses 12 through 18. By the way, if you were offended by the fact that I said most often what you think is wrong, you're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Because more often, most often what I think is wrong. John chapter 8, look at verses 12 through 18. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony's not true. Remember, they needed two witnesses. You're just talking about yourself. Your testimony's not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to 
to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. All right, look at what he says. He goes, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. Why? Because he's getting his judgment from the Father. He's getting his judgment from the Father. That's strictly speaking, though, while he's in human form walking the earth. Yes. Remember, he's coming back as the judge. But whatever judgment he made while he was on the earth, he didn't come to judge. He came to die for the sins of the world. But at the same time, when he did make assessments, remember he said, leave them alone, they're blind leaders of the blind. He made the assessment between pearls and pigs. All right. He did it, though, because the Father gave him the insight. Again, that's why you don't build your doctrine on one verse. That's why you don't build your doctrine on one verse. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I need to move on because we got a lot to get done in the last 15 minutes. So... Turn your hearing aids on to fast. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verses 16 and 17. Some people have really had a hard time with this passage. They never knew what it meant. Hopefully tonight you can, you can understand it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16 it says, From now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Jesus Christ that way, according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, the new has come. What is, what is Paul saying? He said, we no longer regard anybody according to the flesh. We used to regard Jesus that way, but we don't do that anymore. Anybody know what that means? I'm sorry? No? No? I'm sorry? Yeah, we used to see, we no longer review anybody by just seeing them as human. We see them as spiritual beings, either in Christ or outside of Christ. And folks, if they're outside of Christ, you shouldn't be surprised if they're sinning. They're doing the best they can. You know how much you still struggle with it, even though Christ is in you, giving you victory on a daily basis as you yield to him. So we don't, he goes, we used to see Jesus in this way. We, in other words, we thought he was just a man. We don't do that anymore. In the same way now, we need to look at everyone with spiritual eyes. Go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. Made in the image of God. Folks, either they're in Christ or they're not in Christ. And if they're not in Christ, they're lost and they need his love. And it's being poured out to them and we need to be the dispensers of it. If they're in Christ... He's the one who's going to finish what he started. It's not my job to get them there. And I'm going to do everything in my power not to fix them unless he makes it so that he showed me I am the worst. That's supposed to go talk to him. But that's going to take a process of him making sure that I understand that this isn't a one-time thing, but a long-time thing. I've examined myself. My motive's in the right place. All those. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm going to encourage you. Don't be quick to judge. But don't ever say, well, then we'll just let everybody do whatever they're going to do. No, no, they're going to be judgments. And God's going to use some of us who are spiritual to do it. And if you're not there yet, hold off until he makes you someone like that. This type of spiritual wisdom will help us with the ability to recognize when we're to say, stay and speak or to move on. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 6. 
Jesus, in this passage, says, Don't give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is a very interesting thing. He's just said, don't judge unless you be judged. In the same measure you judge, it'll be poured back to you. First get the log out of your own eye, and then you can help your brother get the speck out of his eye. But then he goes also, and he says, by the way, you need to make judgments about when you speak and to who. Because how many times have someone, even in their mind, thinking they were trying to help, done damage, and when you went to your brother and sister to correct them, it turned into a break of fellowship, or they weren't ready to hear it. You're going to see, as I'm going to show you real quickly, that Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he himself walked this way, learning to recognize when the Spirit of God was telling him to do something, and when he wasn't. Let me, we're going to do that as quick as we can. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Look at verses 5 through 16. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 16. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans. Well, did God not care about the Gentiles or the Samaritans? Of course He did. But at this time, these guys were being sent just to the lost sheep of Israel, because the Spirit of God was mainly moving in that area right now. That doesn't mean, as you're about to see, that God wasn't saving individuals who are Gentiles. But at this time, he just sent them out to those. And he said, and proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and heal the sick, and raise the dead, and cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. You received without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for, for that town. Here he says, I want you to go out, and I want, I'm sending you right now to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, I want you to be, as you share this good news, if it's received, stay there. Why? Because my father's already at work. No one comes to me unless the father draws him. If it's not received, move on. But what have we been taught to do over the years in our desire to accomplish results and to produce converts and to measure our baptism records and all this stuff? We've been taught to stay there and pound it in. By the way, you ever wondered why, as we go to share the gospel, the main reaction is, oh no, here they come again? Because we've been trying to accomplish in the flesh what only the Spirit can do. Jesus taught them when he sent out, look, just go lovingly share it. If it's rejected, move on. It might not be time, it might be later. Just plant a little seed and just let the Lord take it, take care of it. Go to um, Matthew chapter 15. Look at verses 21 through 28. Matthew 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of where? Is that Gentile country or Jewish country? That's Gentile country. Oh. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Hang on for a second. Here's a Gentile who calls Jesus son of David. For her to call Jesus son of David, she had to have spiritual insight to understand that he was the promised Messiah. But she's a Gentile. Now, look closely. 
He said, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, a woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. By the way, let me ask you a question that might be hard for some, maybe easier for others. Did Jesus know ahead of time whether or not this woman, when she called out to him and had said, son of David, had, had, had insight and understanding? Or did he not find it out until she responded the way she did? He, of course, already knew. He knew the thoughts of men. Okay, then why did he go through all this? He's teaching his disciples. They're in a Gentile area with a woman who understands spiritual truth. He's teaching them to recognize when the Spirit of God's at work and where God is at work. And he even calls her a dog. And she says, I'll be a dog then. Because even the dogs get to lick the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And you're the only one that has what I need. And if I have to be a dog to get it, I'll do it. I'll just take crumbs. Great is your faith. Go to Mark chapter 5. Look at verses 1 and following. Mark chapter 5. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. By the way, this is the Sea of Galilee. By the way, does anybody know? Some of you may, some of you may not. Is this area Jewish country or Gentile country? This is actually, it's Jewish in the sense of the big picture of what God gave the, the nation of Israel and all that. At this time, there's a lot of Gentiles living there, but, but this is the area of the Gerasenes. It's on the, sea of Gal north, the, uh, the north, north side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus stepped out of the boat. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, and he lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we're many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now the herdsmen fled and told in the city what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, been, had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. By the way, what does Jesus do? Look at the next verse. He's getting in the boat. Here he's in an area that actually, if you do a map and study, you'll find out it was the area that God gave the nation of Israel. And it had gone back and forth over history over whether or not Gentiles lived there or Jewish people lived there and all this stuff. But ultimately, it was the land of Israel that had been given to Solomon and, and the nation of Israel and David. But whether or not there are Gentiles living there or Jews living there, the fact that they got a herd of pigs going on <laughs> tells you something. They're definitely not following the law of Moses at this time. But yet there was an individual there who even though he was tormented by demons, understood that this was who, who Jesus was. 
But the rest of them who said, we'd rather you not stick around, he left. He left. You got to know when to speak and when not to speak. No, I think that I, my policy is that I always, no, you don't live by policies, folks. You live by the Spirit. Let me explain what I mean as we close tonight. Do you realize, if you do a study of the Scripture, that Paul took a beating in Acts 16, but he spoke up to avoid one in Acts 22? He was in a Roman colony of Philippi, and he was beaten, and then he pulled out his Roman citizen card after he had been put in the jail, and he said, you guys beat a Roman citizen, two Roman citizens without a trial. You come publicly, let us out. But in Acts 22, the Spirit had him pull his Roman citizen card out. We also know that in one episode, he's in a town, and he was stoned and left for dead outside the city. But in another situation, they snuck him out of the city in a basket over the wall, and he got away. So which is it? Do we always sneak away, or do we always stand there and take it? You've got to know how to be a spiritual person that makes proper judgments, not by your policies, but what the Spirit of God is showing you. As you live in the Word and you spend time talking with Him, He's going to say sometimes to you husbands, yes, I know you're right right now, but that won't do any good. So keep your mouth shut. He's going to say that a lot of times even more to the wives. Sorry. I'm just going to tell you. Guys, uh, I, I hate to do this, but I, I, uh, ladies, let me let you in on a little secret about us men. Most of the time when you're nagging us, we know you're right. But we don't want to reinforce that behavior. And so we now even less want to do what it is you're saying. A spiritual woman and a spiritual man does not pull out, well, I just speak the truth in love. No, um, if the Lord hasn't told you to do it, I don't care how much you pretend it's love, it's not. It's you. We're going to close tonight with 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I want to show you the danger of living by your principles instead of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I would just say policy is probably a better word than principles. Go to 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 9. Paul says to them, because I'm going to visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I'm going to stay here in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul says, I know that I'm supposed to stay because a wide door for ministry has opened. And even though there's opposition, I'm supposed to stay. I'm not going to come just in passing. I'm going to wait until later on. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verses 12 and 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13. It says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Isn't that interesting? Here he had an open door, but his spirit wasn't at rest. See, the danger of, well, I always just look for an open door. And if there's an open door, no, be careful. God's trying to teach us how to listen to him. How to listen to him. And there's going to be times you're going to see an open door, and God's going to say, walk through it. There's going to be other times you're going to see an open door, and God's going to say, I'm teaching you how to listen to me. Don't walk through it. 
But Lord, it's pretty obvious what we're to do. I could show you tons of scriptures that show, now he's trying to teach you how to listen. Do you remember the, the prophet that was sent to make his prophecy to the nation of Israel? And he was told by God, once you make your prophecy, run, don't stay, don't hang out, don't eat with anybody, and go back a different way than the way you came. And he does, he makes his prophecy, and they say, stick around, no, gotta go. Boom, he takes off running. As he's on his way, a different route, a prophet comes out and says, God told me it was okay for you to stay and eat with me. And the guy listens to that man, and he eats with him. And what happens to that man? He's killed. He's killed by a lion. There are going to be times God's going to be teaching you, are you going to learn to listen to me, or are you just going to live by your policies? Again, that's another whole level of this judgment thing. If you're a baby at this, Acknowledge the fact that you're a baby at this and hold off on making any judgments until you start to learn to recognize how to make proper judgments. And proper judgments are not going to be on appearances. Proper judgments are not going to be made with partiality, but impartially. They're going to be made with spiritual eyes and discernment, led of the Spirit, with a knowledge of the Word and how the Word applies to this situation. You understand? I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.